about sheep, one about wealth and poverty, and the one we're looking at this morning about a party. And to get us in the headspace of uh, the story that we just heard read to us, I want to read to you something uh, from WeddingBee.com. This was posted on the Emotional Support Message Board by a lady called DMK79. I never thought planning a wedding would bring me so much heartbreak. We invited over 150 people to our wedding. We gave months of notice and only about 85 of them are coming. That's barely half. I thought my family and friends could rally for just one day to celebrate with me. Forget it. Apparently that is too much to ask. They have other things to do, so they just can't make it. And these are mostly relatives and friends I consider close, not someone I've never met before. We expected some declines, but never expected so many people to simply decline because they just couldn't find the time. I honestly am no longer excited about planning or doing all the things I need to do in the next few weeks. I just wish I hadn't put myself out there and planned such a big affair for such a small number of people. And being a post on a message board, it has some tags, and the tags for this post are declines, family not coming, lame excuses, people can't make it, and no one cares. I wonder how you feel when you hear a story or a scenario like that. Hopefully sympathy towards the woman. Maybe even empathy. Perhaps you found yourself in a similar situation and you can readily identify with the emotions that DMK79 feels. The the hurt, the indignation, the anger even. Or perhaps you have sympathy and empathy For those whose side of the story we don't get to hear. Those who said no. Perhaps you hear DMK79's rant and you think, yeah, I feel bad for you, but I'm sure all of those people who said no, they probably had perfectly valid reasons. Well, as we heard in the Bible reading that Cam brought to us, Jesus tells a story with a very similar set of circumstances. Look, DMK 79 and the master of the banquet in Jesus' story, they're very similar, aren't they? Like DMK 79, the master of the house in Jesus' story, he goes to great trouble to put on this lavish banquet, only to have his efforts disregarded. Unlike DMK 79, who, like you and me, is just another human being, the, the host in Jesus' story is God, or at least represents God. And once you sit with that, even for just a moment, you realise that Jesus' banquet parable has implications far greater than those of DMK79's wedding, great as that is. What does it mean to be invited to God's banquet? What does it mean to reject that invitation, to say no to God? Are there valid reasons to do that? What does it mean to be shut out of God's banquet forever? Is that possible? Is that reasonable? These are all profound questions that Jesus raises, wherever you stand with God. And as latter-day listeners to this parable, these are questions that Jesus is putting to us to consider. So let's do that. Let's consider those questions this morning. Like many of Jesus' parables, 
This one comes as a response to someone's comment. You may notice at the beginning of the chapter, if you have your Bible open in front of you, in verse 1 you'll see that Jesus is having dinner at the house of a prominent Pharisee, uh, a religious leader, Jewish religious leader. There are other guests there who are also likely to be prominent Pharisees. And they're all talking about God and God's kingdom. And as a kind of climaxes, we read in verse 15 this declaration from one of the guests. The one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. It's hard to know what the point of a comment like that is. It's a bit like those people who put on Facebook, you know, friends are great. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. Well, of course friends are great. You just just want 50 million likes for that comment. This guy seems to be just waiting for the amens to roll in. Of course, whoever eats in the feast in the kingdom of God is blessed. But one thing is certain. The man making the comment clearly assumes that he will be that one feasting in the kingdom of God. And in response, Jesus tells this story. And he begins with a scene very familiar to his listeners. A certain man of means, a wealthy man, he's putting on a lavish banquet. And when it's ready, the man informs his guests so that they can come and enjoy his banquet. Except they don't, do they? We read in verse 18. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. Now for Jesus' listeners, hearing this story, this is a very unexpected narrative turn. Because Jesus' listeners would have known that these guests are not receiving this invitation for the first time there. In fact, they would already have said yes to coming to this banquet. So this is actually a a reneging. This is a going back on their word, which is bad enough in itself. But then there are the reasons they give. Having to see a recently purchased block of land, what, just to look at it? Trying out oxen? Being newly married? No one one purchases property without first inspecting it. Being newly married doesn't cut you off from socialising, or it shouldn't, if you're newly married. (laughs) Hear that? It shouldn't cut you off from socialising. No, no, we're meant to understand that these are unmistakably lesser alternatives to the wonderful banquet that they have been invited to. We're meant to understand these as not valid reasons, as just lame excuses. They highlight the insincerity of the invitees. But then Jesus' story, it takes another unconventional turn. The, um, the, The guests, they don't want to come, even though none of them wants to come. The understandably upset and angry host, he doesn't just cancel the banquet, which is what you might expect him to do. No, instead, he proceeds to invite people in place of the first invitees. The servant, we're told, is sent out on two separate occasions. First, into the streets and alleys to invite to the banquet the poor, the maimed, the blind and the lame. The marginalised of society. Those who would never find themselves at a banquet like this. And then once he's done that and there's still room, He's sent out again by the host, outside the town, to the highways and lanes, to invite even more people to come in, to invite everyone to come in. And not just to invite them, but to make them come in, we're told. To compel them to come in. Why? So that my house will be full. So that my house will be full. 
banquet is so great. It's so bountiful. It needs to be enjoyed. The more, the merrier. It's real feel-good stuff. But, but Jesus' story has a sting in the tail, doesn't it? Just as things reach peak feel-goodness, the host finishes with this declaration in verse 24. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. So the first invitees, they may change their minds. Won't make a difference. They're, they're cut off altogether now. And so the story may climax with the joy of inclusion, but ultimately it finishes in the bitterness of exclusion. And I think by finishing his story there, that is the note that Jesus wants to have resonate with his listeners and have resonate with us. The first becoming last. In particular, there are two attitudes here that Jesus cautions his listeners about. Two attitudes that Jesus says drives rejection of God in a person's life. The first is thinking that you don't actually need to say yes to God. Just like those sitting around the table with Jesus. As Jewish people, they were part of God's chosen people. His original invitees, if you will. Their assumption was, whatever glorious future God has in mind, God has in store for humankind, they're going to be part of it. Automatically. Simply by being Jewish. But this is not an attitude restricted to God's original chosen people. As God's people today... Christian families can be just as prone to the same attitude. It's easy when you've grown up with your family calling themselves Christian, going to church, to assume that any feasting in heaven is automatically going to include you. But Jesus' parable, it does not leave us with that option. Inclusion by spiritual inheritance. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. So please don't, don't rest on that. Don't rest on your Christian upbringing. As parents, don't rest on the Christian upbringing you're providing for your kids, thinking simply by growing them up there in the church that they're automatically going to be a part of God's future. If we're not saying yes to God consciously, actively, then Jesus says we're saying no. So that's the first attitude that Jesus cautions against. The second attitude that Jesus cautions against is thinking that whatever God is offering in the future, it's just not worth holding out for. It's clear that the first invitees, they don't think much of this banquet, otherwise they would not have given such lame excuses to avoid it. They would have done anything they could to get there. And I think this point in particular gets to the heart of why so many people, so many Westerners especially, so many Australians, are dismissive of the biblical Christian hope we're finite creatures. We trust what we know and what we have. And when what we have is really very good, why look elsewhere? The late Anglican preacher, John Chapman, he knew this very well. He spent decades travelling around, telling people about Jesus, inviting them, as it were, to God's banquet. And he once remarked that it's hard to get Australians to believe in heaven and want to go to it. Because Australia is so much like it. We live in
live in a very beautiful country, the lucky country. Who needs to wait for heaven? Can it really be that much better? And the answer Jesus gives in this parable is, of course, of course it is. Because when the Bible speaks elsewhere of the future God has in store, it speaks of new creation. New creation. A creation just like we we have and we know and we experience now, but infinitely better. And minus all the bad stuff. That's, That's the future. That's what we're invited to. I think many people, even many Christian people, I think they assume that eternity with God means some sort of souls just existing forever in some sort of disembodied, ethereal pleasantness. That's not new creation. That's no creation. Jesus depicts God's new creation as a great banquet. Because in his culture, that was pretty much the pinnacle of earthly delight. It's tangible. And so the message is clear. Whatever God is inviting us to, it is as good as it gets. It's as good as it gets. And so whatever we may have to give up to get there, it's worth it. I do wonder if one of the, and I hope in a sense, one of the results of coronavirus sweeping this world is that it impresses upon us the fragility of this world. The fact that this world is not as good as it gets. That you can have all sorts of things and people in your lives and then just like that, they can go. Maybe that will impress upon us why God has in store a future that is depicted like Jesus' great banquet. It's worth it. And so a a, a robust biblical understanding of God's promised banquet, it will help us count whatever costs are involved in saying yes to him. But but a lukewarm, unbiblical view will will naturally see God's promises as second rate, will naturally gravitate towards apparently better options. And if that is you, if that's where your thinking is at, let me ask you, What's your newly purchased field? What's your five yoke of oxen? Is it your career and the bright future it promises? Is it your home and your investments and the security they provide? Is it your family and the love they give? Is it your kids and how proud they make you? Make no mistake, these are all very good things. Very good things. But if they take the place, the number one place, as the object of our desires, as the guarantors of our future happiness, then Jesus is saying in this parable, watch out. That is a bad trade. It's a bad trade. C.S. Lewis, the um, famous author and scholar and theologian, he reflected on these matters. And he put, this is so great what he says, he put it this way. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. 
we are far too easily pleased. Do you realise what you're actually missing out on, Jesus is saying? There is something better, something staggeringly better. Whatever you do, don't be too easily pleased. Or, Jesus says, you'll regret it forever. And so they're the things that Jesus cautions his listeners about in this parable. But this parable is more than just a cautionary tale. It's also a message of hope. Not just because it speaks of a great banquet, but because of who is invited and how they're invited. The great hope that Jesus holds out in this parable is that participation in the feast, that is the kingdom of God, is an open invitation. The host, the host chooses to open his home to people who would otherwise have no deserving place there. That's why the servant is sent outside the town to the non-Jewish world. Jesus' point is that God's invitation is ultimately for all people, regardless of background or upbringing or age or standing. And in a world that is obsessed with status and with celebrating those who have made their own success, in that world, this is a true message of hope. A true message of hope. That God's way is the last becoming first. The least becoming most. And the fact is, we're all the least. We're all spiritual outcasts. None of us deserves a place at the banquet table. The rejection that Jesus depicts here in this parable is what the Bible speaks of elsewhere as sin. That inborn desire that each human being has to live our lives without reference to our Creator God. It's because of sin that none of us are automatic invitees to God's perfect presence. But we are invited. We are invited. And the reason an invitation can be offered at all is because it doesn't depend on us being worthy, but on Jesus being worthy. See, God as host has gone to great trouble to invite you and me to his banquet. And that's why saying no is doubly terrible. Not just because of what you will miss out on, but because of what was done to achieve your banquet seat in the first place. The righteous anger of the host towards those who have rejected him, in reality, spiritually speaking, that was directed at someone as someone who was worthy to sit down at that banquet, the one person who always said yes to God, the eternal Son of God, who became the man Jesus. And the cross of Christ, fresh in our minds from Easter last weekend, the cross of Christ stands as a testament to how much God wants us at his banquet and the great lengths he is prepared to go to to get us there. So we just have to say yes. And our yes, it's no great achievement on our part. It's no achievement at all. It's just riding the coattails of Jesus' perfect yes. He's done it all. What more motivation do you need? God does have something better in store for us. In store for his whole creation. 
better than we can possibly imagine. And anyone who has heard the Bible's message about Jesus has been invited to that banquet. So that includes everyone here. May God in his grace give us the the desire and the courage, not only to say yes to his invitation, but also to hold his invitation out to all others who have yet to say yes to it. To compel them to come here. So that on that final glorious day, God's house will be full. With a number so vast, none of us can count. We can only celebrate. May that be true of you this morning. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you have invited us to the banquet in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for the great future that your death and resurrection has assured, not only for us spiritually, but also physically. Resurrection, new creation. I do pray that you may help us to see where the true treasure lies in relationship with you now and forever. And I pray for each of us that we may seek to hold out this invitation to all those in our lives who are yet to accept. We're now going to see a promotion for the One Life course, which helps us see more about who Jesus is and what he's done. You might be a convinced atheist, a committed Christian, or somewhere in between. Perhaps you've lots of questions to ask, or perhaps you're happy just sitting and listening. Maybe you get a chance, or maybe you've never been. Whoever you are, Christianity Explored is a place for you to explore what life is all about. The Christianity Explored course is free, it's relaxed and informal, and it's run by ordinary people local to you. Some courses are held in churches with lots of people, some are held in people's houses with just a few friends getting together. Wherever you meet, in each session, there's a chance to look at the life of Jesus for yourself and ask any questions you have. There's a short video to watch, and then a chance to chat about what you've just heard. You'll meet great people. You won't be asked to sing or pray or read out loud, and you don't need to know anything about the Bible to enjoy it. So whoever you are, come and explore. There's almost certainly a Christianity Explored course starting near you soon. So ask a Christian friend, or check out the website to find out more. You might just discover that the Christian message really is the best news you've ever heard. Well, friends, I want to tell you that 